It is good to be together. It is good to worship together again. Uh, thankful for the opportunity uh, to be able to worship together. Always encouraged by singing the Word of God and hearing it proclaimed. And uh, man, what a joyous day it's already been to be here, to be able to worship. And so uh, if you have been with us any amount of time, you know that we are walking through First uh, Corinthians, looking at holiness itself, the call and the challenge that has been presented to uh, the Corinthian Christians. And so we find ourselves still in First Corinthians chapter 9 today. Um, in a very small text today, we covered 18 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 a week ago. This week, we're not seeking to uh, cover that much because uh, I wanted to break this down a little further uh, so we can really kind of pick up uh, what I believe is the central truth of what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthian Christians, particularly in light of everything that he's already said in chapter 9 and what he's also written about in chapter 8. And so we're going to begin to see that truth today. Now, if you've been with us over the past couple weeks, uh, you would remember that our text over the past two weeks literally spoke of the freedoms that we now have as believers in Jesus Christ. And then a week ago, we talked about what can now best be described as our rights as believers in Jesus Christ. And if you remember a week ago, we ended by saying that uh, our really truthfully last right is the right to surrender. And I believe that that is Paul's focus for uh, our particular text this morning as well. You see, Paul is going to to teach the Corinthian Christians and teach us this morning that as those who have now surrendered their lives to Christ, we are now called in holiness to be a servant to all. You see, learning to be a servant, or better yet, learning to serve, really has become an easy statement for all of us to make, but yet it's a, it's a statement that's often hard to back up with actions and to back up with words. It's much easier to say that we should serve versus actually physically doing the serving. In fact, in many of our churches, many churches refuse to serve, many believers in churches refuse to serve unless that service involves some sort of crazy, out-of-the-ordinary mission experience, or better yet, takes you to a location that is not itself the local church. Why? For a variety of reasons, many of which we will not get into this morning. But in thinking about that, I want to ask this question to us this moment. What if God has actually called us to be faithful in the mundane? What if God has actually called us to be faithful in the local, where he has us and not where it is we think we desire to be? What if God has actually called us to serve not only those in need, but maybe serve those who are like us? who maybe because they're like us, we don't really care for them as much. What if today we are called to serve those whom we don't like at all? How should we respond? What should we say? Better yet, what should we do? Now this morning, as we continue in chapter 9, we're going to see Paul, really see what Paul means when he speaks more of his own calling, but also the call that has now been placed upon the Corinthian Christians in their pursuit of holiness. And what we're going to see Paul do is he's going to call them to set apart their lives and set themselves apart in order to be a servant to all. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you now to join me. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 19. Now, once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 
Now this is 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 19. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian Christians, says these words. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, as you can see this morning, we have a very simple, easy, somewhat straightforward text. And so hopefully you'll be encouraged uh, that uh, hopefully as the sermon progresses, we will not uh, be here too long in this text. So for those of you who have plans shortly after, thanks be to God, we should get you out of decent hour. However, by God's grace, through his spirit, who knows what may happen. So we'll see how this goes. Now, in light of the freedom and the rights that Paul has now established that we saw in the first 18 verses of 1 Corinthians 9, what he's already spoken to in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul now picks up on the why he makes himself a slave, or better yet, why he makes himself a servant to others. And he says this phrase, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now, I want us to hold on to that phrase. In fact, you're going to find that phrase in verse 23. And if you're one of those who takes notes or underlines in your Bibles, I would underline that particular phrase, for the sake of the gospel. Now, more on this in a moment. Now, before we get to verse 23, we need to see in verses 19 through 22 that Paul actually writes about he was able to make himself both adaptable and flexible for the sake of the gospel. You see, it was Paul's goal to be flexible, to be adaptable, in order to be able to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, notice in Paul's own words, he says that he never once had to compromise his faith in God, nor did he ever once compromise his belief in the Word of God itself. So, this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to explore how, as those who are called believers, as those who are now Christians called to holiness, we have now been called to be a servant of all. And the way we are going to explore this particular text today is by answering both questions, how and the question of why we should consider being a servant of all. So our first question this morning to explore is this, how should we become a servant to all? Well, Paul answers this question very simply. He says, we become a servant of all by being flexible. We become a servant of all by being adaptable. But at the same time, in our flexibility and adaptability, we do not compromise our faith, nor do we compromise our belief in the word. Look with me at verse 19. Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. 
Now notice that Paul does not use his freedom here in order to pursue his own selfish gain, or better yet, his own self-interest. Rather, Paul willingly uses his freedom to become a servant to all people, or better yet, to become a slave to all people. You see, here is the truth that Paul gives us from verse 19 this morning. True freedom itself is the freedom to love and to give of oneself to others. In fact, this is actually what Paul writes about when writing to the, the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Now, many people pause at this point in the passage and they forget to continue reading what Paul says in the rest of Galatians 5, verse 13. So let's just keep reading it. He says, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Now the word servant that we see in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 and the word serve in Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 literally mean the same thing. It means that we are now under obligation to render obedience to another person or to simplify, you are now enslaved to another. You see, for Paul to be truly free means that you are now bound to another. In this case, as Christians this morning, as those who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we are now bound to Jesus Christ, which means due to the fact that we are bound to Christ, we are now bound to serve one another. And not only bound to serve one another, but we're bound to service because of our love for Christ and our love for one another. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who are called to serve, we need to realize, again, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are now bound to one another. Now again, hear me on this. This doesn't mean that all of a sudden we are always going to agree. We don't. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that always, all of the time, we are always going to get along. We will not. And that is okay. But it does mean as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we now see our call to love and to serve one another. And that service and love should always win out when it comes to our relationship with one another. In fact, Paul says that we should be flexible enough to love and to serve one another because of the calling that has been placed upon us by Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Continue to look with me at verse 19. Paul goes on to say that not only am I free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all that I might win some. Now again, when Paul says that he might win some, Paul's not looking for credit here. Paul's not saying, look at me and look at all the people that I have led to the Lord. Look at me and look at all the churches I have now planted in the name of the Lord. No, no. He is talking about what it is that God actually does through him and the work of the Holy Spirit through his life. In fact, the word win itself is mentioned five times in our passage this morning. So here is Paul's point. His point is that our freedom, our freedom that we now have in Jesus Christ, should ultimately lead us to love and serve one another for the purpose of salvation. Meaning this, 
We share the gospel. We serve with the gospel in mind. We love because Christ loved us. And because of this, we want to love one another and serve one another so that people will come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so here in verse 19, Paul sets the tone for this entire passage. And here's what Paul says. For the sake of salvation, we must be flexible and we must be adaptable so that we can faithfully serve and so that we can faithfully love. Now notice what happens from here. Paul gives us uh, his own personal examples of his own flexibility beginning in verse 20. Read with me. He says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul, how is that possible? You literally did everything, man. You were the planter, the missionary, the pastor, the elder, the deacon, the custodian, the secretary. You did it all, dude. How and why? Well, Paul here gives us four examples of his own flexibility and his own adaptability in order to reach more for the cause of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he says again, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now we know from context that Paul was Jewish and before Christ, it was Paul who was being raised up and trained to become a prominent Pharisee. Yet this thought and this ideal was no longer the primary reality for Paul because he had now come to faith in Jesus Christ. Thus for Paul, his first and foremost claim is that he is now a Christian. So when he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, Paul probably has the Mosaic law in mind here, especially when it comes to observing the Sabbath, or better yet, observing several of the purity laws. Now, we actually see examples of Paul being or becoming a Jew uh, throughout Scripture itself. We see in Acts chapter 15 and 16 that it's, it's Paul who ends up circumcising Timothy for the sake of reaching Jews, though acknowledging that circumcision itself is not what saves. Again, you get over to Acts chapter 18, and we see Paul taking a Nazarite vow. Skip over to Acts chapter 21, and we see that it's Paul who is following Jewish purity laws. And then again in Acts chapter 21, it is Paul who refutes any claim that he is now asking the Jews to abandon their customary Jewish Mosaic laws. Again, none of these things that Paul is doing is causing him to abandon what the Word of God teaches. However, Paul is very clear in this passage that he does these things because he wants to see Jews come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he does and follows the laws that do not cause him to walk away from his own faith, cause him to walk away from the fact that we are saved in Christ and Christ alone. In fact, he continues in the text. He gives us a second category of people. He says, to those under the law. Now, many people believe that here Paul is talking about that same uh, Jewish folks that he talked about before when he says, to the Jews I became a Jew. But this, this is actually a second, is a second category which seems identical to the Jews themselves since they operate as those under the law. 
However, the people group that Paul is talking about here are actually the Gentiles who were also living according to the law. That's why Paul sets them apart as a second group. Now, these were the ones who, like the Jews, lived under the old Mosaic covenant. Now, I want us to notice something about Paul here. Notice that Paul does not just walk in, beat down the doors of people's homes, and then beat them to death with their new freedoms in Jesus Christ and this new doctrine and new theology that he is now bringing to them. Rather, what Paul does is this. He lives among them. He lives like them. We see this throughout the book of Acts. It is Paul who will then use their own covenantal law to show them that that same law points them to their need for Jesus Christ and ultimately points them to Christ himself. Again, we know this because in the text, Paul is very careful to say these words. And you probably have them in parentheses. It says, and though not being myself under the law. You see, Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to understand that he did not allow the old law to refute his faith. He did not allow the old law to refute the grace and the freedom that are found in Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul didn't all of a sudden go so far back into being Jewish that he said, hey, I have sinned, let's go slaughter a goat. No, he said, yes, I have sinned, but thanks be to God, through grace, I have been saved because of this sacrificial lamb, and his name is Jesus. You see, Paul never once compromised his faith by seeking to reach those who live according to the law. You see, for Paul, in order to reach Jews, in order to reach those who were under the law, he willingly put himself under the law itself, but refused to allow that law to make him forget that he now lives in the freedom and the hope and the mercy and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus, Paul's faith in God, his faith that is found in Jesus, is not compromised. And yet, he was still reaching Jews for the gospel. Paul continues in the text, and we see a third category. He tells us in verse 21, and to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. I mean, guys, talk about understanding the freedoms that you have in Jesus Christ. Literally, from one moment, living under the law, but not under Old Testament law, under the law of Christ, to now living outside the law, for what purpose? To save those who are outside the law. Notice what Paul says here. Paul, in talking about those outside the law, he's literally describing the vast majority of Gentiles in his day. Paul says this, when I was with those who did not follow the law, I didn't follow the several specific instructions as laid out by the Mosaic law. In other words, what Paul has in mind here is for those who are now outside of the law, Paul became like them. These people who, who didn't follow the strict restrictions of Mosaic law, like circumcision itself or, or several other purity laws or even the Sabbath. Now, to put this in context, these laws acted really as markers that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And so for Paul, he didn't insist upon following these markers when he was with those who were outside the law, when ministering to them, because they didn't follow Jewish law, nor did they understand Jewish law. 
So it doesn't make sense to try to explain something to someone who has no basis for what it is that you're talking about. Meaning this, if we're going to talk to people who don't know Jesus Christ, let's start with talking to them about Jesus Christ. The worst place we can start is unpacking the book of Revelation for them. They'll never get it. And neither do we. Let's be real. Just saying. Now some have come to this point in the text and they've argued this point. See, I've upset a child because I said we'll never understand Revelation. I am sorry. I love hearing her though. Some have read this text and argued this point. They have said this. Now wait a minute. If Paul wasn't following the Sabbath, then does that mean it's okay to skip church? Is it okay to skip worship for other things and other people? Well, wait a minute. Keep reading. Verse 21, there's parentheses. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Notice here how Paul teaches that though he did not follow Mosaic law for those not following, he was still under the law of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, for those who will sit there and say, see, Paul did not attend church. No, you're wrong. Paul still believed in gathering with the body of believers for the purpose of worship. We see this gathering come together in Acts chapter 2, and then they're spoken of again in Hebrews chapter 10. For Paul, Paul, Jesus Christ was still the priority, which means for Paul, gathering together with like-minded believers for the purpose of worship was still a priority as well. Now again, when Paul speaks of not following the Sabbath, he means this. He means he didn't completely shut down for the day, like a true Sabbatarian. Which is what the Mosaic Law called for. But rather what he did do was this. He made worship a priority. He made worshiping Jesus with the body of believers a priority. And then at the same time said this. It is okay for you to show up on Sunday morning to worship the Lord and at the same time go to lunch. You can work. You can cut grass. You can go to a birthday party. All these other things that the Mosaic Law would say are not okay. You could do more than just rest. You see, here's the reality for us this morning. Because of Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound to the Mosaic Covenant, for we are now under Jesus Christ. We are now under Christ and the new covenant that has been made by Him. However, we cannot throw out the Old Testament for the laws of Jesus Christ call us to follow the moral norms of the Old Testament so that we can still see that we serve a holy God who has now called us to pursue holiness ourselves as believers. Don't believe me? Read Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what it says. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What law are we talking about? Old Testament Mosaic law. Pay attention to why we know this. He says, because the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. Paul's there. How do we know about these commandments? We know them because they're in the Old Testament. 
We know them because this is what we are called to follow. This is what we are called to believe. It's already there in the Word of God. And then notice where Paul goes from there uh, to the Romans. He says this, And any other commandment are summed up in this word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who said those words? Thank you. Jesus. Paul continues, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love, listen to this, love is the fulfilling of the law. Here's Paul's point. The laws of the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, still continue to be authoritative. Not because they are Mosaic law and that we are now under that law, but because they reveal and constitute the very character and nature of our God. Thus, we know them as they remind us of just how holy our great God is and how great His glory is, but at the same time, it reminds us of our need for a Savior because there is nothing that we can do to earn ourselves heaven apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thus, the Old Testament points us to the need for the Gospels. And then the New Testament shows us what we are called to do because of the gospel. Do you see how the Bible works together at this point? Verse 22 in the text, Paul says a final category. A final category that he's often concerned about. Especially when it comes to how they have been treated. He says to the weak, I became weak. Now again, this is the same group of people that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the weak versus the knowers. Notice that Paul says in love that he lived in a way that the weak would be encouraged by, not shamed for, growing in their own faith. Thus he interacted with them and met them where they were versus dragging them to his level. You see, Paul says this because he wants to give himself as an example for the knowers who were Corinthian Christians to see and hear because he wants them to live in the same way. Paul says, look, as knowers, we're on this level, okay? We've been, we understand this need to grow in sanctification. We see this need to grow in holiness. But there's a, a weaker group, uh, some who may not know Jesus yet. We need to share the gospel with them. Some who may just be new believers, and we want them to grow. We want them to grow in their faith and, and, and get on this deeper level. But here's the reality. We can't drag them kicking and screaming to our level. We have to faithfully shepherd them. We have to lead them. It's kind of like saying, hey, listen, you're here, we're here, we want to be here together, and so let's find a way to bridge this gap so that we're all growing together. That's the example Paul gives when he says, and to the weak, I became weak. You see, Paul wanted the knowers, the Corinthian Christians who knew and who were mature in their faith to live in that same way and to show that same type of love to the weak as opposed to walking into a church and saying, oh, do you see that pocket of people sitting over there? They're the weak ones. We sit over here with the mature crowd. He didn't want that. He wanted them to engage one another in faith, to grow in holiness together, to worship together, to look to the glory and the goodness of God and to see all that God reveals according to His Word. And He wanted them to do it together. Paul says that I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Again, Paul has in mind the weak 
and the marginalized here when he says these words. Some, again, needed salvation, while others may have already been saved, thus in love. Paul lives like them in order to give them an example of what it means to grow in holiness and to grow in faithfulness. Let me give you a tangible example of that. If Paul were here in the church today, Paul would be the guy who would look around the room and see that person sitting by themselves and say, I'm going to go sit with them. Paul would be the guy, when people walked in to the church, he would say, I'm going to welcome them. Paul would be the guy who you'd be having a conversation with. And, and for whatever reason, maybe your conversation, because this, this happens sometimes in some conversations I've been a part of, you talk about everything. You talk about everything from fishing to football to then all of a sudden you begin to, you begin to define the doctrines of grace. And Paul would be, I want to be the guy that encourages them to continue to grow in their faith, to continue to grow in their love for the Lord, to continue to grow in their understanding of the word because they begin to see their need to grow in holiness. See, Paul says that he became all things to all people, meaning this. Paul was willing to meet people where they were, as long as it didn't cause him to compromise what he believed in Jesus Christ and what he believed about the law that he is now under for Christ and what was ultimately found in the Word. Paul himself was willing to go the extra mile in order to serve, in order to meet people where they are, in order to care for their needs, and to show them love and ultimately point them back to the truth that is found in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, throughout these first verses, 19 through 22, Paul uses himself as the example, and he wants the Corinthian Christians to not only see his flexibility, but to see his adaptability, not because he wanted to brag upon himself or to prove that he is now worth the support that he spoke of previously, but rather Paul uses his own life so that the Corinthian Christians would imitate what he was doing and how he was doing it. So as God's people today, as those who are loved by Him, as those here today who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and you have a relationship with Him, do we realize today that we cannot drag people kicking and screaming to where we are? We have to be willing to meet them where they are. Again, being unwilling to compromise our faith and unwilling to compromise our beliefs, but still meeting them where they are. And in the midst of meeting them where they are and being flexible and adaptable, do we see that we are then called to love and to serve them right where they are? And so I want to ask this question. How are we doing at meeting people where they are? Are we, are we pointing people to the love of Jesus Christ? Are we showing people their need for Jesus Christ? Are they seeing the hope and the grace and the mercy and the future promise in our lives because of Jesus Christ? Are they seeing that in our actions? Are they seeing that in our words when we share Jesus? Are we, are we still being faithful to His Word and faithful to His call in our lives? Or have we become like the knowers where we are too good for the people around us? We're too good for that waiter or waitress we're about to go see at lunch. This leads us to question number two. Paul says, how should we become a servant to Paul? 
Now we get to question number two, and he answers why. Why should we become a servant to all? Well, Paul has already partially answered this question in verses 19 and verse 22, but we get a more complete answer when we get to our final verse, which is found here in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is Paul's point. Paul is wanting to reach people for the sake of the gospel. He's not trying to reach them to himself. He's not trying to brag about himself or build up his numbers and his churches all for his own glory. No, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now, this verse actually acts as a transition passage uh, from our text today to what it is that we're going to be studying uh, next week together when Paul calls the Corinthian Christians to practice discipline. So we're going to come back again next week to verse 23, all right? That's going to happen. But now looking at our text this morning, Paul explains that this is why he lives his life the way he lives it. You see, for Paul, his way of life and his ministry are are just not merely uh, for the benefit of others, but rather as a believer, he lives and does the ministry. He does this way because he is a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says he does what he does for the sake of the gospel. And so here's Paul's goal this morning. His goal is to advance the gospel to every person in every place in every way. In fact, Paul takes the word uh, of the gospel to the church at Colossus very seriously when he says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, be wise, in, or be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. See, Paul saw each moment with every person as an opportunity to live for Jesus Christ and to share Jesus Christ with them. I mean, think about it. Again, let's put Paul in our modern context today. He would not be the biggest guy in the room. We know that. He wouldn't be the most handsome guy in the room. We know that as well. He struggled. He was sick. He was super smart, though. Kind of like the the small nerdy guy running around. Who every time he comes in, he's either coughing or sniffling, but, but he's here. And here's what Paul would do. Paul would walk into a place with us. Maybe he'd walk into the mall with us. He would see people, and all of a sudden he would look around, and this is what he would say, probably to himself, but maybe out loud to to the believers around him. He would say this, yes, another opportunity to make Jesus known. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. This is about you, and look at this. Opportunity abounds. Let's go talk. Paul would be the guy who, when walking in the Walmart, encountering that person in the parking lot who says to him, I want to pray with you, Paul would stop and say, yes, let's pray. But before we do, let me make sure you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ so we know who we're praying to. Paul would give him the word. He'd have no problem with it. Paul would be the guy who'd walk into a, a sporting event and all of a sudden meet a pastor who's trying to hide the fact that they're a pastor, and he gets it out of them. He's like, oh, so you're a pastor. So let's talk about the Word of God together. And they're like, no, I'm at the sporting event. Paul would be that guy who'd be like, no, 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 that doesn't matter. Let's talk Jesus. I'll buy you a hot dog. Let's talk Jesus. That'd be a great conversation. You see, this would be Paul's attitude. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, how many of us would walk around with that same thought in mind? seeing the opportunity that the Lord has provided. Every day, God gives us opportunities to live and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, how are we doing at making Jesus known? Some of us would say this, I don't don't have opportunities. Okay. Are you married? 
you have an opportunity. Do you have children? You have an opportunity. Do you have grandchildren? You have an opportunity. Do you go to the grocery store? You have an opportunity. You may say, well, pastor, I don't do any of those things. I work from home. You have social media? You have an opportunity. Well, pastor, I only have social media. Okay, well, how do you get your groceries? I know you don't have your own garden. Some of you do, but you don't, you're not, you don't have enough land to make all that happen. Some of you got a lot of land and you can make it happen. Some of us don't. Do you ever order anything? Does an Amazon driver show up at your door? Or UPS, FedEx, United States Postal Service? Man, you have an opportunity. And some of you will say, man, they're not around long enough to, for me to talk to them. Yeah, they will. Let me tell you what you do. Offer them a bottle of water. Okay, that's kind of been my new thing recently. When guys show up, if I'm home, offer them a bottle of water. Guess what? They thank you. They stick around for the water because they don't have it. And guess what they'll do? They'll talk to you. You have an opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. You see, I want us to understand something. This is the reason why we practice sharing the gospel on Sunday nights if you're with us. We do it for the sake of the gospel. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings for the purpose of worship. We do it for the sake of the gospel because we have seen the gospel at work in our own lives and we desire it for the lives of others. This is why we have GCs that meet during the week. You know what the G stands for? Oh, man, you guys are good. Closing prayer. We do what we do for the sake of the gospel. This is why we have VBS, uh, Vacation Bible School. Why? Because we want our children to hear the gospel for the sake of the gospel. This is really why we're doing trunk or treat. Not because we're trying to make a name for Southside Baptist Church, because we see the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. We do it for the sake of the gospel. Now, before some people argue that point and say, well, wait a minute, well, who's out there sharing? We have a team of volunteers that that's their responsibility. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Go sign up. Do you like that pitch? Feel good for the sake of the gospel. Can I tell you this is exactly why we're having a ministry fair next week? We're not just trying to fill ministry team spots or, 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 or committee spots. We're trying, to, we're trying to continue to faithfully shepherd the resources that God has given to us. And why are we doing that? For the sake of the gospel. So whether in service or in sharing, we have opportunities to speak truth into someone's life. Why do we do it? For the sake of the gospel. Paul then closes in his text and he says these words, that I might share with them in its blessings. Now Paul here is speaking of sharing in the blessing of salvation. You see, for Paul, he did not live for the sake of the gospel. If he wasn't living, excuse me, if he wasn't living for the sake of the gospel, then Paul wasn't living at all. This is what enabled Paul to say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to ask you, do we live for the sake of the gospel? Is it our hope to see people come to faith in the gospel for the sake of the gospel? Think about it. Think about your own children, your own family members, friends, co-workers. Do you, desire, do you desire for them to come to faith for the sake of the gospel? And if you do, and you can answer yes to that, and oh, by the way, if you're a believer in the room of the pulse, you should answer yes to that. Then what are you doing and saying for the sake of the gospel? 
You see, our desire, like Paul, should be to see more people come to faith in Christ. And so like Paul, we should do what we do and say what we say for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel. I want to share this with you, and I had no intent of sharing this today. But over the past year, I have lost, and my family has lost, two giants of faith. A year ago, we watched as my father-in-law was called to glory. A man who, in every conversation I ever had with him, desired for the gospel to be proclaimed. One of my first encounters with him was riding a golf cart after it had rained, and there was a rainbow in the sky, and with uh, two of my nephews, he asked them, do you know what that rainbow stands for? It stands for the promise that God is faithful. And he shared the gospel with the nephews. And, and he, knew I was, he knew I was a pastor, and he knew I was going to be a pastor. And I don't, know if, I don't know if he ever understood how much that encouraged me. Because even as a pastor, sometimes I need to be reminded of the gospel. I need, I, we just saying Galatians 2.20. I need to be reminded of that a lot. <laughs> Saturday, we lost another giant of faith as he was called home. Many of you have been praying for him. This is Doug. This was Terry's father, Allison's best friend, close friends of ours. And he was called home. And I know on Saturday when he was called to glory, I know for a fact he heard well done and good and faithful servant because I'm going to tell you, when it comes to hospitality and it comes to sharing the gospel, very few people could do it better than Mr. Doug. He was larger than life. He was, he's actually been here before. I don't know if you remember him. He was every bit of like six foot four. He stood like a giant. He, every time I stood, I'm six two, but when I stood with Doug, I felt like I was standing next to a seven foot five man. Okay? Normally he'd come in wearing his, his coveralls, his, his, you know what I'm talking about, overalls, and then his Faith Rider shirt or his Faith Rider jacket. But here's what I loved about Doug. Doug, didn't, Doug knew me because of Allison, and he knew me because of Terry and, and Tommy, our friends. But let me tell you about Doug. Doug had no problem opening his home every time I was in town and made it a point to do so. And this big bear of a man would wrap his arms around me and hug me. He was the second man in Dothan, Alabama to ever heard a hug me. My first, the first was Mike Brackett. Okay? My father-in-law. The second was Doug. And then here was Doug. Doug, as a believer in Christ, would sit with me and my family. Our kids would play, his grandkids. And he would listen to us and he would ask us, man, tell me what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. Tell me what Jesus is doing through your church. I want to hear about it. Doug would ask, hey, when I come to town, do... Doug would come visit. He'd come visit. Him and Barbara, they'd come riding in. This is what Doug would ask, okay? We didn't have to worry about hosting Doug. Doug would come in and say, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? You see, I, I tell you this story because I want you to understand that, that these two men, like Paul, they lived their lives for the sake of the gospel. Doug would open his home to complete strangers. Not because he was just a nice guy. He did it for the sake of the gospel. He would share the gospel. And so this week, many will gather to celebrate Doug's life. But man, I'm telling you, if Doug was alive and well, he'd say, don't celebrate me. Celebrate Jesus because I do what I do for the sake of the gospel. 
It's the same thing Paul said to the Corinthian Christians. Don't celebrate me. Yeah, you can call me your spiritual father, but man, I'm here because I love you. But I do what I do, not for my own glory. I do it for the sake of the gospel. And so I want to ask you, why do you do what you do? Is it for your own accolades? Or is it for the sake of the gospel? So that the name of Jesus Christ would be made great today. You see, here's the beautiful reality that we now live in. By the grace of God, we have freedom. By the grace of God, we have rights. And as Paul says in this text, those freedoms and those rights should be exercised in love because we have been called to live and speak of salvation to others for the sake of the gospel. In fact, when it comes to our own lives, many scholars would say this, that we should live what other scholars have called cruciform. Meaning this, we sacrifice our preferred ways of life for the benefit and good of others. We do it for the sake of the gospel. We do it for the glory of God. And here's the truth. We can't, we can't force people down this path. We can't force them to simply get on our level. We have to be willing to open the doors of our own home. We have to be willing to open our own lives and ask them how they are doing and then ultimately point them to a loving grace that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And at the same time, we cannot yield or compromise this gospel because it is the truth of Jesus Christ. It is the spoken word of God. So, stand and fight when defense is necessary. And at the same time, gracefully love and serve where guidance is needed. As God's people, when it comes to the gospel today, my prayer is this, is that we would drink deeply from the word of God. But then at the same time, we would pour out generously. I want to close with a word from probably someone who has preached the sermon many times and probably did it way better than I ever could. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. The Christian gospel is not a call to receive something. Rather, it is a call to surrender everything. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to surrender. We are called to surrender for the sake of the gospel. We are called to be flexible. We are called to be adaptable. We are called to be a servant to all. Let's pray together. May your glory know.